So today, our guest is Savi, an international makeup artist and beauty expert with a huge influential following across social media platforms. During her career, Savi's also mentored incredible artists and now works across the UK and internationally. As well as this, Savi's involved in a number of causes, particularly bereavement and anti-bullying charities from her own experience of both. She's an ambassador to Bodyguards Against Bullying and Sand Charity, whom she works closely with, talking openly and supporting bereaved parents around stillbirth, neonatal death and death of young children. Savi regularly talks about bereavement and how to find happiness after loss and coping with bereavement. Welcome to our show today, Savi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and on top of that, you're also a wife and a mother. Yes, wife, <laughs> mum, sister, <laughs> you know, daughter, daughter, all of those things that we're always juggling around as well. So, yeah, daughter-in-law, <laughs> that's another one. Carer for my mother-in-law. So, yeah, all of that <laughs> into one. A woman with many hats, as many women are. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Being a wife or having a partner and, and then being a parent as well and then yeah, as women have got a lot on our plates. Yeah, we do, we do, we do. So let's warm things up with our quick fire round and just let me know which of the two you prefer. Sunrise or sunset? Definitely sunrise. Definitely. Sunrise, I, yeah. yeah, I love the warmth. I love the light around me. So, yeah, I'm definitely much more of a morning person than kind of wanting to see the sunset. <laughs> um, music or podcasts? Music. I know it goes all against the rules of doing this podcast, but definitely music right from a young age. My parents had it on all the time, Bollywood music in the car, you know, prayer music in the car. And, you know, we, that's what we used to watch on videos. The tapes that they used to buy were, I'm talking tapes now. You can see how ancient I'm going to feel. Um, that's a cassette for all of our young people. Yeah, cassette. <laughs> you know, uh, they used to, we used to go out shopping and um, they used to sort of like sell these Indian Bollywood tapes. And that I used to be obsessed by that. And I still have them in the garage. Um, telephone calls or text, which do you prefer? Definitely telephone calls. I yeah. don't like text. I only do text if it's an emergency. Not a WhatsApp, a text. So we send a text. I know. I was going to WhatsApp you earlier and I was like, no, there's no WhatsApp. I'm going to have to call and text. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, honesty or others' feelings? Oh, that's a hard one. Oh, that's a really hard one. I think you've got to be, I would change honesty to truthfulness because I think if you're true to yourself and you're true to others, naturally, you know, you can care for others. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how so I we're do it. Go, we're going to go for truthfulness. Yeah. You're going to adapt, you're going to adapt that choice and change yeah, it. Yeah. Honesty if you want to. So, but yeah, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. That's the biggest one for me. So let's start the conversation with talking about how you're doing today. How would you score your mental well-being on a score of one to ten today? I think, I think originally when it happened, I think we all knew it was coming. And so I was preparing for it because I knew it was going to happen. So just little things like making sure I had Zoom downloaded onto my laptops and stuff rather than just my phones. We have got an elderly mother-in-law, so she's 82. So we just started to make sure we just never took her out. In those yeah. few weeks before the lockdown, two to three weeks before lockdown, we were just not taking her out anywhere. And we were also making sure that we had enough supplies 
for all five of us, but particularly her. I was really optimistic when the lockdown first happened because it was kind of different. You know, all of a sudden you've got your kids here with you. But there was this underlying concern, worry, a bit of anxiousness, a bit of fear as well. I just wanted to stay positive during that time. And I just kept telling myself, I can't control the future, but I can control how I feel right now. And right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to embrace clearing up my house because I've got the time to do it and um, spending the time with my kids and my husband and just making use of all of that. And then what happened is I think I started to hear more about friends or family who'd been affected by people they know that had caught COVID or that had passed away from it. And I think that really affected me quite a lot. And it triggered a lot of stuff around um, my own second son's death several years ago. And so I could I could sense and feel like the anxiousness and the fear of it was all coming back a little bit. But I sort of, that was, that was about a week ago, I would say. And now I feel like I'm in a better place again. But I think you have to go through all of that and just allow yourself, just be easy on yourself. Like don't fight it. I can't. And that's how I was, you know, I didn't fight it. I literally just went off social media for a bit. Because I just thought, you know what, I just need to go back into my safe place and just focus on things that help to calm me, like meditation, like listening to music, like listening to, you know, mantras and stuff. And how would you score your mental well-being today if you had to score score it on a scale of one to ten? In terms of my mental well-being, I would say probably seven, eight, because I think there's always room for improvement and there's always ways that you can kind of improve that you know, things get triggered and you've got to kind of just allow yourself to have that space. I think it's actually really important to to understand what your emotions and your feelings are telling you and to pay attention to that and listen to it. Because a lot of the time we know they're happening, but we don't listen until you have like this major crash or meltdown moment. Just listen to what your body's telling you, what your mind is telling you and just, just give yourself a break. Well, I think it's important that we we all practice being kinder to ourselves. Definitely, 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 for sure. You know, kindness is the new call, really. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that should be a hashtag if it isn't a hashtag already. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. What I've liked about what you've said, and I feel that not just myself, but probably our audience can resonate with, is that you're going to have good days and bad days you're going to have days when you feel frustrated low you're going to have days when you feel positive and motivated Mm. do you have small daily habits that you use to kind of help support your positive well-being Mm. and if so could you share what those are with us I've kind of dealt with a lot of these emotions that I think a lot of people are going through right now in the lockdown when we about five years ago we lost our son our second son and I'd never been, or I'd like to think that I'd never been an anxious person. I'd not really been fearful about anything. I was just happy-go-lucky in my own little world, doing what I was doing. When he died, I realised that I was really fearful around basic things. Things like getting in the car and driving off for the first time with um, my other children in the car 
things like going to the doctor's surgery was really fearful for me because unfortunately we discovered he wasn't breathing in the doctor's surgery so that place for me right at that time had become a bit of a place that I was scared about because I was always like well there's always something wrong and that's the reason you go to the doctor's surgery or you go to a hospital so I remember kind of dealing with all these anxious moments and moments that were really creating a lot of fear in me and I started to I started to talk about them really openly Um, and the way I did that was by writing and I used to write on his memorial page and at first it started from his memorial page and then I sort of transferred it into my own sort of personal Facebook page and I used to write posts and so I think I was getting the emotion out that I was feeling I was getting it out in a creative way through writing about it you could maybe call that journaling back then I didn't know what journaling was because I was not very open to mindfulness at all so these are all kind of mindfulness sort of practices and daily habits that I've sort of adapted into my life now. But sometimes, you know, if you're looking at mindfulness online or something, you might see something called journaling. And actually what I was doing is I was journaling. So I think journaling is a really important part. And going through the process of that grief, what I've realized is being very present in the moment now, rather than trying to sort of understand what the future is going to bring or fear the future and the impact that's going to bring to me so I think just kind of being present in what I have right now and being grateful for what I've got right now I think that's another thing to remind myself about all the things that I'm I I live in gratitude for and then um, just in terms of like daily little things I always sort of wake up as soon as I wake up I say three different mantras in my mind these three mantras times three times before I get out of bed and it sort of just frames your morning around you know again what you're grateful for and then I think you know then I normally get ready that's the point when I normally start to get ready I don't look at social media until that point until I'm after ready it's It's definitely about creating a a, a positive space and yeah the, the things that I'm picking up on are daily skills daily daily habits that prepare you to have a positive day starting the day and really kind of being like as you said gratitude thinking about you know what am I what am I grateful for what do I want to achieve today um and then making sure that your kind of the news or or the environment that's coming into you is positive to start with exactly carrying that through but incorporating it into my daily kind of getting up and getting routine you know like I say you know if I'm having a bad moment I just allow myself to feel it and embrace that so one thing that I I really wanted to touch upon is the the loss of your son as as we said as we've touched upon it was a really kind of heart-wrenching situation for you and your husband could you share with us what happened and yeah sure sure um So I guess the first thing to say is that I've been sharing this story for quite some time and actually sharing the story allows me to still be Shivai's mum and that's a part of me that I no longer have because his physical presence is not here anymore. I've gained a lot of healing from talking about it because I've been able to sort of like take away the pain from it and the trauma from it and talk about Shivai um, in a way where 
I feel privileged to have had him in our lives and to be his mum. So I think that's the first thing to say. But yeah, I mean, five years ago, he would he would have been five in January this year. So he's our second child. And he yeah. came after Avi, six and a half year gap between having okay. Avi and having him. And we had really tried a lot to have a second baby with Avi I'd never ex- I'd never experienced any form of infertility but conceiving Shavai was really hard there were there were several miscarriages that I had before him um and uh, you know when I wasn't miscarrying I couldn't I just couldn't conceive so it was a really difficult time when I was trying to sort of like have him and that's what kind of got me looking into makeup as a form of hobby and how I became a makeup artist. So my makeup journey has been parallel to my journey as a mother as well. And I fell pregnant with Shivai when I was probably my happiest and where I'd become Savi, the makeup artist. And um, he was born prematurely. So he was born at 29 weeks. And that was really critical, really critical. Um, so he was... I was taken in blue lights all across London the day I started to sort of like have him and he was he was born and um, that first night we almost lost him um, because it was really critical and I remember the nurses saying to me that they had to pump adrenaline into his heart to revive him and the next kind of 78 hours were very critical for him. So, you know, it was literally like from hour to hour, things were changing. Literally, they were changing. And because it was such a far hospital, he, my husband was back home. Um, so it's an hour away from where we live. So he was back home taking care of our eldest son. And we were trying to keep the normality and routine going with our eldest, you know, with school and all that sort of stuff. So I was staying in the hospital there and from a physical perspective, I was fine. So I was discharged from the maternity unit straight away. But emotionally, there was lots of roller coasters that were going up and down with us. And then about two weeks later, he got better. And he was transferred to our local hospital. Uh, So a lot of the times you at the moment in lockdown, you're seeing like the doctors and and all the patients that are going through COVID with all the ventilators and the ventilation system with his, and he had a very similar thing on him and he was in a closed off incubator. And it was, you know, I remember sort of videoing that moment when they took him in that incubator and put him into the ambulance mm-hmm. to sort of take us both back to our local hospital. And that was such a big moment and milestone for us because he was coming that much more closer to home which meant my husband was able to see him all the time whenever he wanted to. Our eldest son wasn't able to see him because he was born in January, which is classed as winter months, and catching a cough and cold, you know, the the chances of it were quite high. So um, they didn't allow, you know, young children to come visit in the unit because of that. So my eldest son didn't actually meet him face-to-face until Mother's Day, which was towards the end of March. That, that year so he was born the 13th of January and he didn't really see him until the end of March and then he came home in between that at four weeks he did have a major blip again and he was taken to Paddington St Mary's and again he was on the critical list and he pulled through that 
you know, he was only born almost like two and a half months and he'd already had kind of one, two, three different hospital that he'd stayed in and almost six trips in an ambulance, you know, and we always used to talk about that. But, you know, he came home and he was doing really well and he was just developing as any normal premature child would. Avi, our first son, is premature, was premature as well. So we knew that it was a little bit, we knew what to expect in looking after a premature child. And we knew that that first year is, is pretty intense. We went on holiday um, when he was six and a half months old after he'd had all those immunizations and jabs and the doctor had given us a clear to sort of like take him abroad. We went and that was our 10th wedding anniversary and also my 40th. So my husband had always said that I'm going to take you to the Maldives one day with our children because that's where we honeymooned. Okay, yeah. So, um, and then he surprised, he told me it was somewhere tropical and he told me what immunizations he might need and they were just the regular ones. But he didn't tell me the destination and then you know, I found out we were going to the Maldives again. So it was it was really kind of a beautiful holiday, like like just picture perfect. Everything was just perfect. And we came back from there and then, you know, we noticed that Shivai really wanted to eat the food that we were eating. So we were like, he's ready for weaning now. And so we came back and st- he started to be weaned and he was doing well. He was loving food. And then he, about... Two, three weeks later, he caught his first cough and cold. That cough and cold, you know, in any newborn child under the age of one is, the first one is always the hard one anyway. But for him, because he was premature, it was a little bit more kind of intense. And because of his medical history, I was I was always worried about him, like more so worried about him than I was the elder one who had had his first cough and cold and he fought it through and he just carried on and there was never really any health problems with him as such where he had become critical at any stage during, you know, his time when he was born. But with Shavai, he had, you know, I was always a little bit nervous and worried and I remember taking him to the GP about three times to make sure everything was okay with him and they all said he was fine. The checks they did on him were fine. In that time, he also had a, a dietitian's appointment and also a pediatric appointment as well. So, And then again, I asked them to check him and they all said he was fine as well. And then on the day that he got better, he started to eat. He was playing. He was much more responsive. And I had a doctor's appointment that day. So we took him in his car seat and we were going to go and pick up our eldest son after. And we took him... When we put him in the car seat, he was fine. And when we got to the GP surgery, which is like a 39-second drive from our house, uh, we picked him up from the car seat and he wasn't breathing. And then that was like the first afternoon appointment um, that we had booked. So I went running in to sort of like find a doctor. My husband ran to um, the reception area with him in his arms and immediately like there was five doctors around and they were all trying to revive him and you know you you don't at that time you think everything is happening in slow motion but actually when we afterwards when we kind of realized it within like seven minutes the ambulance was there and we were already on our way to our local hospital which again is just a five minute drive away from the GP surgery 
And they tried and tried and tried to revive him. And I just remember them all saying, is there a heartbeat? And everybody would shake their head to say no. And we were sitting right there, like as far as away as this laptop is from me. That's as far as away we were from him. And 45 minutes later, he was pronounced dead. And so it just literally just shook our foundations. Like, you know, you hear about these things happening in the press and on the news and stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, we were like, this just can't be happening. Like, and there was so much confusion that why, why, how could he die just like that? Like, you know, and then you're asking yourself all these questions that, did you do something wrong? Was it something I fed him? Was it something I didn't do for him? You know, like what on earth happened? Like what on earth happened? And nobody could answer that question. No one could answer that question until a, a postnatal, um, sorry, not postnatal. Are you all right? Yeah, I just, as a mother, I like, it's just, I just, yeah, I'm fine. It's, it just really is, it just breaks my heart. I, I, I just think what's impacting on me is two things. The, the speed of which you're describing things to happen. Yeah. So the distance that you're saying that you travelled from your home to the surgery yeah. is... It, 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 nothing. It, it, it's, it's literally nothing. nothing. It's on your doorstep. Yeah. And the fact that he was... You had the appointment, but he wasn't... He didn't seem like he was in any you know, immediate discomfort or, uh, yeah. or there was any alarm. And also for me, I, one thing that keeps on popping up whilst you're, you're sharing his story is how the suddenness of, of the whole situation yeah. really kind of echoes what we're hearing at the moment with yeah. COVID. Exactly. There's going to be many of our listeners that are experiencing loss or have family and friends that are ill with this virus has this kind of reopened anything it has for sure it has and and this is what I mean by this COVID situation has really triggered a lot of emotions in me one around the suddenness of death in people that you love two because I know what Shivai died from Eventually, I found out what he died from, and he did die from a um, superbug. But I need to be very clear that it wasn't COVID, but it was a bacterial bug that you know many people carry, and nothing happens to them; they're all fine. But I guess because he was classed as vulnerable, because he was under the age of one, and he was a premature child, and he'd had these problems, you know, several times before. It just suddenly attacked his immune system in such a big way. But it wasn't something that we thought, you know what, something's going on with him. Like it just came up as a cough and cold and yeah. he's trying to fight this cough and cold. COVID is very, very different in that respect to mm. what he had because this was bacterial. And, you know, I've done a lot of reading and research into that and found out how it happens but we can't say where he caught it from we just have yeah. no idea and you know we were all checked because I suddenly found out I was expecting after he died yeah so there was there was a lot of care that was taken by my maternity unit at my local hospital in my pregnancy care 
to make sure that I didn't have the bug, that my other son didn't have it, my husband didn't have it, because that would have been pretty fatal for the unborn baby. And that baby turned out to be Kai, who is now nearly four years old. You know, it, it ha- Shivai's death has triggered a lot of stuff because, you know, in the recent sort of like weeks, because suddenly, you know, you're hearing stories about people mm. losing loved ones that were perfectly healthy and normal. All of a sudden, I'm not immune to that. I'm also thinking about, you know, what if I lose somebody that I love? And these are very similar feelings to what I had when we lost Shivai. I did lots of counselling around that time. I had a lot of counselling. I had a lot of like, I, you know, joined a couple of online communities where they were all around life coaching and support. And that's why I think I can, I've been able to sort of get through the trauma of Shivai's death from this and talk about him without being connected to that trauma. Yeah. And talk about him probably not, not around his, the end of how his life ended but more about the eight months that I did get with him, how much joy and happiness he gave us. And that's what... And that really, was, that really comes out. Like, Shavai is, like, he he had a personality. He, he did. He created he really memories. Did. You know, he he was a little brother. He was yeah. a son. He he had his time and... Yeah, exactly. Was, he had yeah. his time and, and, you know, sometimes I think maybe he came to give us a message. I wouldn't be doing this podcast you know, or um, any of the kind of content that I put out there, had had I not lost him, I wouldn't be talking and sharing about all these things. And I know it reaches a lot of people and I know it has an impact on people and it supports them. And um, that's what keeps me going. I feel like he had some form of purpose that he had to come and show us. And definitely as a family, we're much more stronger from it. I think we're definitely much more appreciative of the time that we've got on this earth. We don't sit back and wait for things to happen anymore. We don't wait that, oh, yeah, I'll do that when I'm in my 60s or plan those when I'm retired. We just do them now. Like, if we want yeah. to do them, we just go and make them happen. So, you know, I guess that in that way, lockdown is a bit frustrating because there's so many things that we want to do, but we're yeah. restricted right now. We're restricted, but you've got to make best of what your situation is it was that yes we did lose our son but we also had another child on the way and I had to do everything possible to keep my body my mind and my soul healthy so I could deliver a healthy child and you know I was always told that I was going to have a premature child because of some medical problems that I had and what was going through my mind when I was told that I was going to have Kai was that I didn't want to have another premature child because my first two were already. And because I knew the impact that that might have on their well-being, and I didn't want that kind of birth or that child to end the way that Shavai had. I I couldn't lose another child. I just couldn't. By then, I was already in these coaching communities and I was already kind of doing lots of counselling. I was doing lots of journaling. I was doing lots of like meditation, lots of affirmations. And I remember my husband used to say to me, do you think you might go early this time? And as soon as he would say that to me, I would be like, no, I'm going full term. I'm going full term. I can't scientifically prove this. I really, really believe that I was controlling my emotions back then. I know I'm going to go and have a full term child. And lo and behold, Kai came full term. And 
you know, our third child, we came home with him the day after he was born and we'd never, ever been in that situation ever before. So it was all really, really new to us. And I remember I, I put out a post yesterday about, you know, there was the clap for the for the carers yesterday and, um, you know, the local hospital, West Middlesex Hospital, which is our local hospital where all our children were either... I was given medical advice to sort of like go to another hospital on the night that they were about to be born or they were delivered there. I have a huge amount of respect for all those doctors and nurses and all those, you know, maternity ward staff because of the compassion that they showed us. And from everyone, from that first scan that I had, all the way to kind of considering my pregnancy as high risk and having even more checks and doing swab checks for this bug and making sure that I hadn't had it and all that kind of stuff they were doing so much more checking and they were so compassionate in the way that they cared for us not just me but even you know when my husband used to come in and um, come and visit me in the hospital and stuff or be at appointments a profession is a profession but these guys go these guys go way beyond that like much more beyond that it's just about kindness and about human decency and care and showing all of that you know they go further and beyond you know what is required of them in in their professions and I saw that back then so you know seeing it now in some ways it's not a surprise to me because I've experienced it I really really have it's the public acknowledgement of that yes so I'm really happy I'm really happy that the the good thing that we can take from kind of this COVID situation is one, they're actually getting the recognition that they rightly deserve, and not just NHS workers, but every essential worker, every key worker. And secondly, if it can help to influence and shape policy and procedures around diseases and viruses in the future, that's a good thing. If it can help to shape more testing being available and more funding for the NHS, that's a good thing. And that's what I'm taking away from this situation. Yeah. It's thing to happen. I think I think one thing that I I definitely I get from you is that you have a a very positive outlook and and look for the good and your story is challenging in so many ways to lose your uh, lose a child and then find out that you're about to have another child and the positivity Mm. of I'm going to go full term this this is what I need to happen and you know having you have an elder son you had a husband you had a family around you everyone with their own emotional needs. And I think that that's definitely something that a lot of our listeners will be experiencing during this pandemic. I wonder, could you share with us how you, that how did you then move on to find happiness? Like when we speak of, sorry, we're very positive and we're both smiling and he has, as I said, he has a, a, a big place in your family's heart. How do you, how do you take those next steps with bereavement into happiness? I think um, it definitely happened immediately after he died because I remember, you know, in my culture particularly, there is like a two and a half week mourning period. During that mourning period, there are certain prayers that are sung. And I remember my husband and I discussing this um, when family and friends were coming around and some of the, the more mature ladies in our family would start singing those. And my husband would say, I really respect our culture and our tradition, but I really don't want those morning songs happening because we've got an elder child to take care of and we don't want 
our home to feel like it's a place of sadness. So that was the first thing I remember my husband saying. And I remember looking at all the aunties and the mums and thinking, oh, my God, they're going to kick yeah. off. They're going to yeah. kick off, right? But luckily for us, none of them did. And they just respected our wishes. And then, you know, the second thing was Shivai brought us so much more happiness in our life. You know, like we had yearned for him for years, for years to come into our life, you know. And whether it was him or it was a little girl, the second child to us was just like our family was complete. You know, other than the fact that he died, there were so many other memories that we had of him that were just happy ones. And I remember we set up this memorial page on Facebook and we asked all our friends and family to share their pictures and their videos of him on that. That memorial page is still going. It's it's a private area that I have only allowed our closest friends and family to be a part of. And I regularly look there. Yeah. That was the second thing that happened. And then the third thing that happened was you never, ever want to discuss funeral arrangements for your children like you never even imagine thinking about that or talking about it. like you just cannot comprehend that happening but I remember when we was when we were having to sort of sit down and talk about a funeral for him I remember sort of saying to my husband I just don't want it to be sad like I just don't want this moment to be sad because Avi may remember this for the rest of his life and this is going to frame his thinking around How old was Avi at that time? Avi was, Avi would have been six and a half. So yeah, he was, um, he was almost turning six. So he turned six after we had Shivai. And then by the time he died, he was just coming up to six and a half. He was just coming up to six and a half. He was old enough to know everything that was going on. And so we were really cautious and mindful about that. But then at the same time, I remember the counsellors saying to us, just be honest and truthful to him. He had come to the hospital. He had held his brother, you know, and I remember him asking us questions like, Mummy, why is he so cold? Why is he going colder? I think because of the fact that we were honest with him, we involved him in every single decision. We all came up with the idea of sort of releasing colourful balloons. We recorded this special memorial video and um, Abby chose his own little video clip. So he was really involved. And, and so the funeral became not a day of mourning, but a more of a celebration of his life. Yeah. We regularly go to the Garden of Remembrance. We have a little personal thing that we've sort of like planted there. And it hasn't become a place of sadness. You know, the day before he died, he was staring at my husband eating a chocolate eclair. And I remember my husband saying to him, one year from now, you can maybe eat this. But not just yet. But he gave him a little lick of the cream and his face just lit up, you know, as soon as he had it. So on his birthday and on the day that he died, we always um, have chocolate eclairs. We always have a candle on his birthday. We always celebrate that moment. And I think that's what keeps us going. I don't think we've had to deal with death as openly as we've had to after Shivai died. So now I'm not really scared of dying, to be honest. I was going to say, one of the things that really I've been thinking whilst we've been talking is that your experience must mean to me that you are very embracing of the fact that, and the truth is we're all going to die. We're all going to, we're all going to die, 100% certain. We're also all going to lose people that are close to us because yeah. they're going to die too. Yeah. And I think that that's the only certainty we have in life, but it's 
for many of us, it's our biggest fear. And I think that your story and how you've kind of embraced death and celebrated life and made, you know, not it's not a taboo subject to your children, your sons. It lightens my heart that they, as children and, and as they grow up as adults, will be comfortable with death because I think it's something yeah, that we sure. all have to become comfortable with this pandemic there is you know there, it, we're at over you know a million people being diagnosed with having the the virus which will mean that it, um, we're no near we're not near the end of this there will be more loss what I'm the vibe I'm getting is just how comfortable you are with that death is a, a is a process of life yeah, it is. And, you know, I feel like with my kids, especially my eldest one, he's become more resilient. He's nearly 11 now. And so he knows, you know, there's not this fairy tale life that everybody yeah. tells you that you're going to have. I'm quite happy that he knows growing up that, you know, if you if you want things, you got to go out there and get them. You know, when your time's up, your time is up. So I guess you can only kind of accept death as a normality or find happiness from it if you actually allow yourself to feel your emotions because every emotion that you have whether it's a tearful one whether it's a fearful one whether it's anxiousness or whatever it is there's a start point that that happens and then there's an end point and it's that journey in between where you allow yourself to kind of feel all of that that helps you to kind of get to that end point and then look back and think you know what I kind of I've grown from that yeah. so, I, so you know when I have these like triggered moments recently I just allow myself to sort of feel it and get through it and just talk about it because I know looking back one I'm going to be stronger from it two I'm going to be more grateful for what I've got today because I've gone past that moment and three yes I can plan for the future but I don't plan in advance I just plan for like tomorrow or the next day and that's what I do or you know before lockdown we would plan like a month in advance for a holiday or something but that, that would be it you know I don't plan like two three years down the line about pensions and stuff like that (laughs) real grown up stuff stuff that you have to think about I just feel like you know I'm still scared of losing somebody in my immediate family I'm still scared about that and but I think it's more the fear of not knowing what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and being in control of it rather than the fear that they're gone yeah, I think As that's what you're anxious and, and I'm more fearful about. One thing that I, I, I was listening to a podcast quite recently and, and one thing the um, presenter was saying that really we've never we've never been in control of what happens next. We've mm. just planned for what's what we think yeah. is going to happen. Yeah. And my old my old wise mum has always said <laughs> life happens while you're planning it. Like she's like, yeah. you can plan what you want to do tomorrow but you won't know what's going to happen until you're in that moment and I think that this the whole you know lockdown and and the pandemic has made us realize we have to live in the moment we have to make the best of an opportunity when it when it arises and and not kind of keep thinking about I'm going to do this next or next year I'm going to do that or I'm just go for it and yeah exactly having the resilience to have, have gone through a loss such as your family has 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 experienced really is applicable to every to every aspect of your life now. Do you know? What I'm yeah. As you say, your your son's approach. I'm sure he's 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 very you know. Eleven year olds are positive, but he has. I, I feel like he will have 
a grown up a grown up view of the world you know he, yeah, he there's does. happiness and there's sadness and yeah. you can't have one without the other and that's another thing that I think life kind of teaches you like you can only have happiness when you've experienced sadness you can't yeah. otherwise what's your benchmark exactly <laughs> well, I, think, I think what's really interesting for me is and um, what drives us when I get to the gates of heaven and I knock on that door and Shivy comes knocking and opening the door and he turns around and he says to me mum what did you do with your life I need to have some really good answers and strong answers yeah. for him because yeah. he didn't have that time but I do I really need to make it count because sometimes I sit there and I wonder what the hell was I doing with the 40 years of my life before oh. this game um, <laughs> compared to like the last five years where I've done yeah. much more? Yeah, but that's that's the thing about life, isn't it? We're always learning. We're always developing yeah. it. The older that we get, the, the, one of the nice things is hindsight and being able to look yeah, back yeah. and be like, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. Yeah. A lot of the work that you publish on your social media platforms has mm-hmm. a coaching element is coaching something that you're interested in where does that where does that coaching element come from I think you know certainly after he died I was seeking support through people that would help me to get through what I was feeling around about that time feeling really lonely in that I just stepped away from certain groups of people or I just stopped going places you know, there was just a lot of that that was going on. So I remember sort of like speaking to my GP about it and they asked me if I, I wanted sleeping tablets or antidepressants. And I remember saying, no way. And I remember I was really, really adamant about that, really adamant about creating a really good life for Avi, even though he'd lost his brother. Both Kartik and I were on the same sort of level around that. And, and also the same, you know, creating ourselves a good life as well. So I think I was always sort of like looking for an alternative to those things, like, you know, to the antidepressants and sleeping tablets. And so then I started sort of looking around and I remember sort of sitting in my room one day and this video popped up on my Facebook and I started watching it. And it was a video by Jay Shetty. And it was all about purpose. And I was kind of fascinated by it, to be honest, because I'm not really, you know, I'm, um, I'm a born Hindu and I was raised as a Hindu. So a lot of the tradition and the culture had been instilled into me. But when Shivai died, I was questioning a lot of it. And then this video came up about purpose and I started watching it and I just, I was a bit blown away and I was like, who is this person? And so I started looking into Jay a bit more and, and then I found out that he had this genius coaching community. So I joined it. And it really, really did change my life because um, all of a sudden I was surrounded by people that had gone through similar, if not even more horrific things. And they were all still coming out of it smiling and happy and and living their life to the max. So I think I started to surround myself around people like that. And a lot of them have gone on to becoming coaches. And then obviously Jay was my coach. So I was learning a lot from him as well. And I was learning about, you know, being open about my situation and yeah. being not fearing it and not feeling like if I talked about it, then I was going to be judged as not coping with life or I'm not, I haven't got closure from his death because I think I've got closure from the trauma of him. But I don't want to really close off on my child. You know, how can you do that? How can you do that? You know, if you ask any parent to close off on any child that they've had, that they've lost, whether it is through miscarriage or through infant death or stillbirth or anything, 
you know how to cope and move on in your life with a new normal way of living. It's a new normal way of living that you start living, but you will always have that thought about that child. You it's know, a you're always you, isn't it? Every child, you. yeah, it's a huge part of you. And um, so I feel like a lot of my coaching, or what you say, my content is 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 around coaching probably comes off because of reflections of me being really authentic and open about what I'm feeling and what I'm going through and then and therefore that kind of resonates with people that are also going through things that I've also been through and you know as much as kind of them sharing and watching their stories or their content around those subject areas has healed me talking about it to them has also healed me and their responses have helped me as well and you know so every time I go out there and I talk about loss and the lessons that I've learned from it you know it's a it's attracting a certain type of audience that either are seeking help from that or they want acknowledgement from somebody that's also been through it and they're like yeah that's exactly what I've been through that's exactly the feeling that I've had and yeah that's exactly what I'm doing to get through it so I think the coaching element sort of like comes from my own experiences my own persona in terms of who I am as a person you know I've always been that friend that everybody talks to whenever they've got a problem yeah yeah Um, to them it's no surprise that I'm doing kind of stuff like this I remember my best friend who now lives in the States, you know, when she started seeing some of my videos, she was like, you've always been like this. You've always, always been this type of person where you're helping people. So I guess that just kind of really reflects in what I do. It's really weird because sometimes I don't see myself as a coach. I just see myself as a makeup artist who fortunately lost a second son and is out there to just help people deal with their own loss but I guess if people it as coaching then that's that's actually not a bad thing is it at all that's not a bad thing we've spoken about the fact that you are a wife you are a mother you're a makeup artist you're a beauty expert you do coaching at the moment you're also doing some consultancy for a UK organization for essential workers and 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 doing the, the marketing content around that but you're also working with to organisations and charities. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're doing with them? Although I don't know how you find the time. (laughs) (laughs) So there was never this game plan in kind of doing all of these things, by the way. It's just that I think life just took different turns and opportunities presented their way and life happened to me and I just sort of fully embraced whatever was going to come out of that. But yeah, specifically, the two charities that I am um, sort of supporting or social movements is Bodyguards Against Bullying and they approached me about it when they saw some of my content they're all made up of ex-bodyguards who are trying to sort of like combat the issue around bullying and address anti-bullying and how they can kind of help and support in all that area and then so I was a bit taken aback when I first was kind of approached about it but then I started to think about it and I was like actually do you know what I have been trolled before I have been targeted with bullying behavior online and actually that's a huge huge area that needs to be combated and to and sort of like dealt with and just as a mum of an 11 year old I know that social media has some incredible parts to it but also has some really dark parts to it and part of that is the bullying online so actually if I can do something that will help and support that then that's a good thing so that's why I became a bodyguard against bullying ambassador to sort of help in that and they are a very newly formed organization 
And at the moment, they're just on social media. They're not a charity, but they're a movement. So yeah, we're just working through how, you know, that role is going to transpire and what I'm going to be involved in. But specifically at the moment, it's probably going to be around how to support and help against online bullying. So that's a really interesting part to it. And then the second is an ambassador for SANS, the charity, which is the charity around stillbirth and neonatal death. And what's been really interesting is because this kind of like brings the whole purpose back to me in some ways, in that obviously I lost Shivai and then I started talking about it much more openly and putting out content around bereavement and the support and the lessons that I've learned from it and how I've gained my own happiness and that's kind of attracted a lot of more bereavement charities to the work that I've been doing around that and and again like I say it wasn't any game plan to sort of like go after these charities and ask them to sort of work with me but we are aligned in what I'm doing and kind of their messages as well I'm really really grateful to have been asked Sands to become an ambassador for them because it is about giving support to newly bereaved parents that might have lost a child in stillbirth and they work really closely with other sort of charities that are also um, you know involved in that sort of area around bereavements of knees it's a very very new role um, yeah and you know, we're still working through the details as to what I'm going to be involved with, but definitely I'm going to be around supporting more and more parents who are newly being bereaved, but also kind of maybe helping them with their fundraising initiatives as well, because a lot of the work that they do is to also fundraise so that they can put that money back into kind of research and development as to why these things are happening and see ultimately if there's a way of stopping it. And, you know, that's a really great thing because if I can help to sort of support a family that have been through what we've been through and, and help them come out the other end in the same way that we have, one, that that's a good thing and two being able to maybe be part of the influencing and the policy around some of this stuff about how it's dealt when a parent does lose a child processes that are put into place you know that's a really good thing as well because I've definitely experienced so much compassion from NHS workers that have helped me after I had Kai and helping me grieve but also supporting me in having a newly born child you know it's definitely helped me so if I can do that in some shape or form for others that's a good thing too for me just a privilege really to be asked to kind of be an ambassador for both these areas but also it just it allows me to continue on being Shavai's mum and doing something really good in his name and yeah and maybe this was his purpose <laughs> well congratulations on both i think they're you know they're both fantastic causes and they're there to kind of support those the people that need them most which is as you said protects him from being bullied i have friends and family who have lost their their children either through stillbirth through miscarriage um so I understand how important that support is, but also the research to kind of identify it and establish why this is happening and if there's a way that we can prevent premature deaths of children. So congratulations on both. I I think they're fantastic courses and the more that we can kind of talk and promote them, the better, I think. Yeah. I'd like to kind of wrap up with just a few quick questions on Mm -hmm. what makes you feel inspired? I think just humbleness in people. You know, you don't have to be a celebrity or a big influential person to kind of do good in the world. You know, and kindness, just humbleness and kindness. What's the most important um, lesson you've learned in life? I think it's 
you make your own happiness and you are responsible for your own happiness. Your own self-care, your own happiness starts with you. It's not somebody else's responsibility to sort out and do for you. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned. And that moves on nicely to if you could have a billboard of anything on it, what would it say and why? I think I'd say smile because it will make you feel better and me too. Yeah. And it's less, it's less muscles than frowning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it helps with all the muscles. And the, it does, you know, it does. In a particular <laughs> age, we need to make sure that we're staying away from the needles as much as possible, That's don't we? So exactly. We just got to walk around smiling. Helps you everywhere, emotionally, physically, mentally. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Can I just ask one thing? I've loved our conversation today, but I'd really like us to kind of continue the conversation and really look at exploring makeup and the power of it makeup and, and the mm-hmm. confidence building that can yeah, be. Sure. I'd love great. us to kind of have another session in the coming weeks. Whilst we're in lockdown, now we've got the technology yeah. to kind of have that conversation. But thank you so much for today. It's Welcome. really been enlightening for me just the importance of kind of looking for positivity in, in every aspect of our life and really about how we can have small daily habits to really make sure that we are being in that positive space and acknowledging sadness and loss, but converting that into a celebration and stepping forward. And like you said, you just touched upon like, don't see every wrong that you've experienced and have that burden on your shoulders, but how can that how can you spin that around and look for the positive in that? Mm. That's really mm. today. And it's hard, um, it's hard to do that, but um, just give yourself some patience and you'll see the answer. Well, thanks again. And we wish you a lovely weekend. <laughs> yeah.